We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Caption Celluloid on Make Time for This, probably a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. Andrew, how are you doing? We're here to uh to talk about, I guess, what we're gonna deem anyway, our first 2023 movie of the year. So this is us turning over a new leaf. Love leaves, Adam. Uh, fall's my favorite season. We're very far away from that, though. So uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I'm doing well. It's it's always great to see you come on your podcast, talk about movies, and to look ahead to 2023. 2022 is in the rearview mirror. If you haven't listened um, to our, our best of the year 2022 podcast, as soon as you get through this, go listen to that. Just have us in your ears for a full like five hours today. Um, I live with my own voice in my head, so I know it's tough to get through sometimes, but j- just stick with me on this because you get some Adam as well. Uh, yeah, uh, this is also another example of Adam says, Andrew, here's a filmmaker you have no knowledge of. Have at it and see what happens and see what shakes out. And that's always a very fun process for me. Yeah, this is this is what I wanted to do and wanted to get you watching for quite some time. And I hope that um, post-podcast that you'll continue to dive into his filmography. Um, the filmmaker in question is Hirokazu Koreda. And I guess the the anchor point for this conversation will be Broker, um, his latest film, which, depending where in the world you live, has been released within the last few weeks or month or right at the very, very tail end in select cities in the US of 2022, but it's it's real release really kind of came this year, uh, premiered at Cannes last year. Um, and it's a very, very good film, <laughs> as, as we'll get into. For those who don't know, Kurda is a Japanese filmmaker. Uh, he... I think has increasingly ascended to a position of kind of 
one of the the living masters of world cinema. He is a very very particular brand um of cinema. His films are very easily identifiable as his. There are a couple of exceptions in that, but I, I think generally if you had seen a few Corridor films and you were just blindly encountered by one without any title or with any details or name of a writer or director, you would probably be able to pick out, well, he probably directed this, or if it's not him, it's someone trying to do a Corridor imitation, um, which I am always quite a fan of when a director has such a distinct kind of, whether it's style or vision or worldview, that their films kind of become very much their own. And you get to watch the evolution of how they explore the things they're interested in and the ways they revisit that as their career goes on. And Corridas certainly fits into that particular billing. Um, he started out as someone who made a number of documentaries for TV in Japan before making his feature debut with Mavarossi in 1995. Since then, I believe he's directed 15 feature films, maybe 14. It's in around that kind of that kind of range. He's a very active, pretty prolific filmmaker. Um and I think he's building one of the more interesting and kind of richly rewarding filmographies around where you can just drop in and like oh here's like a masterpiece that i didn't know about or here's a film that i just totally adore and has rocked me to my core that i didn't know about before now uh, for me he came on my radar with shoplifters which in 2018 was a big international hit i say that in relative terms but certainly something that became a real art house favorite around the world it got a lot of buzz did very well and prominent year-end lists and in a lot of ways, I think is very typical of kind of the key ideas and messages that can be found throughout Corridor's work. And I think he's both interesting for using that as a spot to go backwards, dive in and explore his filmography and films that with similar ideas and themes, but also to look at what he's done since because he's channeled that success into making a French language film, a French production in France, with also some English thrown in, um, starring Catherine Deneuve, um, Juliette Binoche, and Ethan Hawke. And with Broker, he has made a Korean language film set in Korea with a Korean cast, uh, headlined most notably by Song Kang-ho of parasite and i guess wider fame from his his work with bong joon ho so i guess we'll we'll start on the overview where was your familiarity with Corda? because i would have recommended but i i know i recommend a lot of stuff to a lot of filmmakers and that may not have landed i can think of one thing in particular that may have made him stick out but you might even have forgotten that by now. So before before I was like, okay, Broker, which are I actually, if I remember correctly, you almost just watched yourself, stumbled upon on streaming or on Amazon, and were like, yeah, I'm going to watch that. Where were you at on your knowledge of who Hirokazu Kurodai was going into this? Uh, Very limited. I know by remembering the name that you had recommended Shoplifters to me years before. 
or just a few years before because it's not like a an ancient movie or anything like that. Um, yeah, I'd seen a trailer for Broker at one of the the theaters I go to. I want to say around the time I saw the Fablemans, but it might have been something else. Um, and was interested in like like I told you the other day, almost just when I was doing one of my like okay, be productive days, uh, watching on on Amazon, and then held off a little bit because I knew we were doing this process. So very limited knowledge of Corridor's uh filmography or or work beyond just knowing about Broker and Shoplifters. I do want to say what an amazing flex it is to sandwich in a movie with Catherine Deneuve, Juliette Minoche, and Ethan Hawke between two very spiritually linked uh, films about like family and people operating on the edges of legality and how they survive. Uh, so just a great flex and then being in and then casting um, uh, Song Kang-ho in one of his uh follow-ups to parasite just incredible flex as a director that you're pulling all that off within a four-year uh period um but i gotta say i I watched five films um for this process tried to get kind of a sprinkling of uh time frames there's like a period between like 2008 and 2018 that i missed so i should have got a few more in but i didn't so afterlife still walking nobody knows shoplifters and broker the ones i watched and i was a big fan of what i came away with uh he's a guy who clearly has his own vision and style his films uh, for lack of a better term feel really grounded and real like i know some of that is because he mixes in kind of a, a mix of like documentary and fiction into into what he's doing i think in particular with afterlife um and that definitely adds to just the the heightened realism of what's going on but you feel like you're just dropping in on people watching them try and survive their daily lives um i don't know would would you describe some of his work as slow cinema at all or not really because that's like nobody knows just is very the pacing there and you, you're just like you're just really moving through the world with with that family in particular there and so it's a, some of the films are very deliberate and just like you're taking on this journey rather than watching something that's really hitting you in the face with things, in, in my opinion. And he's a guy who's clearly interested in what it means to be a family in every sense of the word, not even just beyond the, you know, this is your mother and father and, and, and two kids. And we're the uh, idea of the nuclear family um, beyond that. Um, how family is something that uh, you can, find yourself and it doesn't just have to be you know who your parents are who your brother and sister are and that sort of thing and I, I think he's very thoughtful about all of those different things and, and in particularly with shoplifters just and nobody knows just can also pack a big emotional punch towards the end of the film in a way that doesn't necessarily feel forced I don't think I would describe Cardiac Slow Cinema personally i i think there is i can understand why you're asking that question i think there is generally um a difference culturally in eastern cinema and western cinema as to pacing i i don't feel that this fully kind of reaches the lens of slow cinema in a way that's something like um let me think Oh well, 
I mean, we talked a lot about uh, Rishike Hamaguchi around the time Drive My Car was out. And for example, his film Happy Air, which is one of the best films of the 21st century, um, and is also five hours, six hours long. Well, six, I think it's, I think it's five and a half hours. Um, yeah, that's that's slow cinema in spells. Certainly, I I don't think that really comes there as much as there is a more deliberate pacing that is really akin to classical Japanese cinema. I mean the the comparison that most readily gets thrown at Korida, um is to the films of Yasuhiro Ozu. And that is apt. And you can see Ozu's style, I feel, more than anything else in what, what influences Korida. Um, that energy is there. I know there was a Guardian interview that I read. I feel like it was from Our Little Sister, um, where he talked about, like, of course, he's very flattered and he loves that comparison. But the person he feels his work is most like is Ken Loach which that really speaks to your idea of, I guess, this cross between blurring lines of documentary and fiction and really kind of just grounding in social realism. I mean, that's what Loach does best. Um, but I, I do think the likes of Loach, the likes of Mike Lee, you can see that kind of influence too, if you're to look away from the obvious and look West. And I, I think a good way of distilling some of Corridor's style and his cinema is to say okay well if you take filmmakers like Loach um, like Mike Lee or if we're to go back further if you go to uh, Italian realism and go to like Vittorio De Sica and Bicycle Thieves and Umberto D you get that kind of idea or that approach to humanity on film filtered through a more classical Japanese style that is certainly heavily influenced by Ozu the the one what I was hinting at was when we did our episode on After Yang, and I had you watch a whole bunch of Koganada shorts and his video essays to talk about him. He has a really really good um video essay on Corrida, um that I believe uh, he made for Sight and Sound. Yeah, I remember the Ozu one, but I did not remember the Corrida one. Well, it's probably the same. After, after this, no, no, they're separate. Um, it, it's probably worth you revisiting after this, and for anyone else who's, whether you're a big Corrida fan or you're checking any of these films out after discussing it, I, I think it's it's a useful kind of tool to just kind of, I guess, contextualize some of what he's doing and to get a nice kind of very coherent snapshot of the emotionality that's a play. Um. I think for me, when I think of Corridor's films, and this is not exclusive, it doesn't apply to every single one, but I do think all but one of what would be considered his most notable films are very, very heavily centered around children and family and found family. Um, And then even if we're to branch out beyond that, he's kind of explored family dynamics in a very wide range of ways at this point. Um, there is always kind of honestly tragedy and sometimes some pretty grisly stuff can be right or, or along the fringes of a corridor film, but never used in a way that is 
to shock or horrify the audience. Um, his films are grounded in a way that I just I find to be very empathetic. They can often be sweet, but I I, I don't think he's sentimental at all. And I guess it's the kind of thing that maybe Steven Spielberg has most notably been kind of given the label of, you know, the best director of child actors there's ever been. I think it's Corrida. I, I honestly I haven't seen anyone else who can do what he does in if that's if I'm to start listing films, I'll just be listing and listing. But Shoplifters is obviously a great example. Nobody knows would be my pick i think for the greatest example it happens again in broker like uh, no matter what kind of number of corridor films we bring up just because he's incredible child performances and then he gets these really warm performers and smart performers who know how to react against that and play against that and i, I think portray families in a way that just feels more real and feels more believable again i'm there's not something to me that looks documentary like about his films, but I'm so interested in that that was a word that came out of your mouth on introduction to him in a few films. Because I do think if we're to just use documentary, which is, is a very dangerous thing to do, but as kind of a facsimile for some level of truth or veracity, there is something that feels truthful or real about the spirit of Corridor's films as you watch them even when there are moments of high drama. Um, I don't think his films ever really get near melodrama, which in another director's hand, they could very easily do. I think he's a real master of tone and understanding, okay, this is what my world of movies looks like. And being able to stick to that. And I, honestly, I think it's caused him some problems when he's tried to go outside of that, like a film like The Third Murder, um, where he tries to do something that's a little bit different and a little bit darker. And there's still something that's just at the heart. It's like, yeah, this is that, but it's also taking place within this world as Corda imagines it in all of his films. And that can kind of put a cap on it. And yet, where I think if you watch through all these films, it's like you're going to see elements recur and you're going to see... I, I don't think it's boring. I think he manages to find interesting angles in part because the films are so well written the characters are so well sketched out and his casting always seems to be pretty immaculate to tell these family stories over and over again in a way that doesn't feel as repetitive as it probably should like um particularly there are lots of directors lots of my favorite directors who kind of make the same film over and over again to one extent or another but if you're doing that and your films are about family and are in a much more grounded social realist kind of framework, that's a lot easier for them to feel monotonous or like, okay, we get it. We get it. And look, there is some criticism of Corrida that is that. And I guess if you weren't someone who warmed to his films, that's something that you'd increasingly find. I just don't quite know how really anyone wouldn't warm to his films i think like if you're an actual like living breeding human these films are just like overflowing with humanity and i i it speaks immediately to me and i really struggle to imagine i don't know if i want to know the people andrew that it just doesn't speak to where they're like nah there's nothing here for me it's like well 
I, I think these are pretty, pretty rich texts on just humanity. Yeah, and so we've lamented uh, all of the Eat the Rich movies that have been coming out lately. Oh, and God, we sure have. I, I think his films do a better job of displaying the inequity in society than any of those movies ever could as well. Um, because there's, like you said, all of that humanity in showing people going through adverse circumstances and how they deal with that. And whether that reaction is survival in the case of nobody knows, which is like, you know, we're, we're on our own now. How do, how do we deal with this? And how do we adjust and just survive or something like broker where it's like the inequity and, you know, somebody gets pregnant that doesn't want to be pregnant or, and that other side of society where it's like, we want to have a family and we can't something like that or something like still walking where uh, you're grieving after all this time, the death of a, a son, a brother, an uncle, whatever it may be. And, dealing with the reality that the reason they're not here and someone else still is, is and you're viewing the person that's still there as someone that doesn't deserve to be there. These, these are just very real circumstances that are, are heightened because it's a movie that real people in the real world have to go through every day, whether or not we see them and the way he just puts them on screen. And, and like you said, pulls out these uh, performances and, lived in experiences like like you said i don't know how you couldn't find something in that um even something like afterlife which is his of the ones i've seen his most removed from reality obviously film still feels very human um and that one deeply human that that one like really got me thinking like that that's a that's a heavier i guess it's it's heavy on the surface but like it was it hit me heavier when it was over than it did while it was happening. Could you just start thinking about like, what the fuck would I say to that? Yeah. Well, you, you, yeah. And also, yeah. I mean, the, th- the thing that I have with that film that scares me is like, <laughs> I, I, I guess the idea of afterlife and you've, I didn't get to rewatch it for this. So you've seen it much more recently, but it's essentially uh, purgatory is going to kind of put the wrong spin on it, but it's, it's almost uh, a waiting room for people who have died where they have three days to choose a memory that is essentially going to be like what they live for the rest of eternity, what what they're going to get to just bask in, um, in an afterlife, of course, as the title suggests. And films get created of these memories so that people savor them forever and ever in it, like the whole setup of like the workers in this space, it's all it's it's so high concept, but really imaginative, and then shot in a way that's really simple. But the thing that terrifies me with that is like, like what what is the perfect what is the perfect memory, the representative memory? How can you get what what I remember in three days? What I would want to the right range? Like I I find that to be a deeply fascinating film. It's not my favorite of his. I I tend to lean more towards. I guess what are his warmer films. Um, but I, I just kind of marvel at that. And yeah, I think it's a film that could easily lead to you having an existential crisis of some sort. Uh, yeah, it definitely uh, did that for me. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Um, it's not my favorite of his either. I go shoplifters on that. I don't know. I think that's the one where I can make a case for nobody knows, but maybe shoplifters for me was just slightly more um, entertaining. I'll call it. Uh, that's not necessarily what I look for in going to a film, but uh, shoplifters threaded all those needles that he's often working with. I think the best for me, but yeah, afterlife, uh, I, I guess. That, so it wasn't his first film or anything that, but I guess earlier in his career, to just it was a, it was a second on. film, second, second feature. So pretty incredible for that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love, I know probably honing too much on the, uh, the, uh, the minute details about one film, but I love the setup of like everyone, you know, just showing up at the office on a Monday and the uh, mundane nature that that inspires. And then as you unpeel the onion and learn more about who the people are in this workplace, like it takes on an even darker meaning. I I don't know that that movie just has my, my brain in a pretzel, but uh, uh, the one thing that I will say, there's a two, films that made me think of that um when they came out one is they're both pixar films i think inside out and soul both owe something Mm. to the kind of ideas and the processing of what is a life and what do we what do we value and what makes up our essence i think a lot of that is kind of rooted in that film in a way that's incredibly incredibly interesting um 
he's not he's not the first person to to do that either um i mean it, it's not all that difficult to find other touchstones that you could apply to to it as well i just think it's it's a case of it's his most imaginative when you talk about where it falls in his filmography too there is an interesting kind of run that nobody knows it feels like kind of redefines Corridor and largely shapes I think what is now most widely associated with the vision of him because from there he makes Hannah but then he goes still walking Airdal, then I wish uh, like father like son there you're not quite in an alternating it's a little bit more regular than that but this kind of okay family and children very very much at the center of it um kind of takes off from nobody knows like before that distance is a film that is just fascinating like i think in theory and objectively um like I, for you i don't know if you've read about some of the films that you didn't get to see or but this is a film about uh a cult who um essentially poisoned thousands of people uh before committing mass suicide and yes being him it in a lot of ways becomes about the friends and family members left behind but there's something very heavy and dark and there are also real life um, elements um i think it's based on the tokyo subway sarin attack was was something that um he has drawn from it's also i guess worth mentioning here and when we get onto broker specifically that applies to two corda pulls from real life very frequently um not necessary to be like i'm going to make an adaptation of that real life story but he will take a germ of something real life and then he makes his own film version of it will we talk a bit specifically about broker yeah before we do that uh uh i, d- I do want to say that uh it's funny how culturally some things still just can remain so true to life when you do pull from your own life because still walking like could could have been at, at my grandma's house on thanksgiving to mm. be honest with you with some of the uh, the guilt trips uh the mother tries to pull with getting people to call more or visit more just pulled right out of my own life i again though i think like that's and it can often be something where I think you can watch Asian cinema as a Westerner and you can feel a real cultural distance. I I think in the way that he isolates these universal elements of family, I, I think Karada does bridge that, which does likely also suggest his ascension to prominence kind of in a wider cinema sense, because I do think you could watch that anywhere. I mean, look, it's it, that's not something unique, but there are there is an ability to do that or films to tap into that. We talked about on our best of 2022 last week, we both talked about Hit the Road, an Iranian film, which, again, similarly, I think just finds a way into family dynamics that feels real in telling a story that is very specific to that country, but is also people can recognize, whether it's themselves or people they know, they can just recognize and it feels real and authentic and they can relate to it, which is... I think it's one of my favorite things with world cinema and over the years, the more and more my world of movies has kind of broadened and expanded and gone wider and wider and wider. 
there is something very, very special when you fire something up and it's from a country that's very far away that you've never been to. And it just it hits, it lands, and it lands just as much as if it had been, you know, set in your own backyard, as you as you're kind of alluding to on that. So I, I think he is particularly good at that. Um and it makes his films all the more powerful. Yeah, I I, I will double down on your PSA there, Adam, because I love uh travel for that kind of eye opening experience. But you know what? That's cost prohibitive sometimes. You know yes. what's much more afford- affordable? Fire up a movie uh, in an uh, area that you know you're not from, and just experience it. Also, those corn fritters they were making and still walking definitely have made something <laughs> like that with my grandmother before. So just universal. I, I I'm gonna just pick up on that point because it's one I feel very strongly about. Not the corn fritters, although I'm not opposed to corn fritters. <laughs> I I do really really deeply feel that and that is one of the things when people are like oh if someone's asking why do you care about film um yet travel broadens the mind as you said andrew we all don't have the luxury to constantly be traveling and see all corners of the world i I think i don't think i know i could feel my worldview has widened and become much more nuanced true cinema and true watching a wider range of people and places and ideas and getting a sense of what are cultural norms in different places. Uh, it's not to say that any film or filmmaker defines a certain country where I'm like, oh, well, Japan is just like a Korodan movie. Of course, that's not the case. But the more and more you kind of, you spread your wings and you open your mind and you're sampling from a wider range of places, I do think that becomes apparent. And when something hits... It's always interesting to be like, okay, well, what what is that? What what about that film and that place is speaking to me? And what am I learning about that? And I, I do, I think that is one of the really, really special things about I mean, I guess all art, but I, I think in film it just it works in a different way, even than say music does. Um, you and I are the kind of people who watch sports from all around the world, and sure you can learn something about a culture from that, but it is not the same as someone from a certain place training their eye on their own people and their own culture and saying, this is what I want to show, or this is representative of something, whether to me or on a larger scale. And I think a lot can be learned from that. So yeah, if anyone is listening and you tend to be, I don't know, very like, Oh, I watch English language films. I maybe watch a couple of things here or there that really break out. Spread your wings. That's, that's all I'll say on that. And I think the more, the thing that really changed it for me, I think it's one thing um, having a kind of a curated, everything's curated to some perspective, but I think it's an, one thing, for example, me saying to you, Andrew, you're going to watch Corrida films this week. I think it's another to just be like, I'm firing up this thing and then this is what it's like. Or in my case, I regularly go and see international cinema in movie theaters. If there's somewhere near you that, that does that, I think people should do it and just be like, Okay, there's this new Spanish film, Iranian film, Japanese film, Chinese film, whatever it might be, and I'm gonna go and see it. I think it's it's a very very rewarding thing. Okay, uh, broker. Yeah, go, on. go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, no, I was no, just gonna add on. one more thing. Uh, to just put the exclamation point on what you said, um, Jason Isbell, who's got a documentary coming out about the making of his album Reunions, um, in an interview a few years ago, um. 
I'm basically saying why you shouldn't listen to like Luke Bryan or any other bro country. He says because bad art like that tries to remind you how different you are from everyone else and is the reason for fighting culture wars. Good art reminds us that we're all like human beings and all share some through line of like humanity with one another. So that's that's how I feel when I watch something like Still Walking and can recognize myself and characters from a country that's not mine. For sure. Okay, so that's we're not gonna d- dive in too much because I feel like part of this is a part of this is a crash course, and I hope that we're gonna get people to explore a little bit out of what they might usually explore. Um, but broker being the latest offering, what 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 did you? What were your feelings on broker? And also, I guess had you. I'm trying to think of the order you watch things. So, what, like, by the time you got to Broker, where were you at on what your expectations were of Carta? I'd watched Shoplifters, uh, was the only thing that I had watched before watching Broker. And then I mm. got to Afterlife, then Still Walking. And then the final thing I saw was Nobody Knows. So, kind of working backwards, you see where he got to with Broker. I think it and Shoplifters in particular are spiritually linked even if they aren't you know diving into the exact same subject matter it's just obviously it's taking a subject where you could think of everything that's happening is like dark and nefarious but what it really is is one set of people trying to use their quote-unquote business to survive and get by and pay off debts and then the other side of things it's you know seeking out people that want to have a family but can't and there's something just heartbreaking all around (laughs) about that situation uh counterbalance to that with uh the not quite decision to leave but you know detectives on on the trail as well i think it it's it's something that surprised me uh because i i didn't know what to expect from corridor but it's kind of a a level up uh in terms of just not a level up but like the absurdity or the just like strangeness of the situation is a little higher than shoplifters or maybe it's not it's all it, it kind of is because you're talking about like buying and selling but uh yeah the illegal yeah. adoption trade essentially is what the film is about exactly and um yeah so it's surprising from that standpoint i was like oh that's what broker means <laughs> he, he's a broker uh but i thought it was uh it's because he tells his stories about like people on the edge of legality living their lives, but he doesn't do it with judgment. No, he does it never. with with understanding and he's presenting the situation for what it is. And like, we're just to accept what's happening and like make our own judgments about how we feel like the characters. But I think you get uh, really warm performances from people like Song Kang Ho, who just, uh, I, I love this guy as an actor. I just, anytime I see him in anything, I think he's just tremendous. And I think that's no different here. And I think the the morality at the center on like just what's happening there and the the debates about uh, what it means to quote unquote like abandon your child, which is something that he's does uh, earlier in his career, obviously with nobody knows to a much more severe degree. Uh, I th- I think it's a movie that brings up a lot of questions and a lot of uh, like moral quandaries. And is also just 
an incredibly entertaining ride. I mean, it's a it's a road movie to a degree as well uh, as they're traveling, trying to to find which family is the right fit. Um, I wish I had seen this at the end of my viewing because I think that gives you kind of a more clear idea of the progression of his career. But it definitely feels like there's a through line from what he was doing earlier in his career um, with nobody knows to this. Yeah, and I mean, this is something he, uh, I mean, I've been tracking this one, this kind of, I guess, maybe even before the, before the truth came out, he, um, reports of this as kind of his follow-up to Shoplifters started to emerge, of this idea of baby boxes, which I believe there is one, or there was one in Japan, which was very controversial, where people could essentially just drop their baby off, and then the baby gets taken care of. And I believe it is a slightly more prevalent thing in South Korea. And that led to this being South Korean set. I think it's a really interesting exploration. Um, particularly of something of something like adoption too, which is obviously a very like sensitive subject. And I, I was just kind of wowed by the range of exploration and the nuance of the discussion going around and as you mentioned that lack of judgment and just that kind of clear-eyed sense of like for this to happen it's often like a human in a tough place and then in on the flip side of that for example you have the very well-to-do couple who are trying to illegally buy a baby here they're not bad people. They just desperately want to be parents and help a child to grow up and live a good life. And there's, it's kind of, there's all these good people that, whether it be societal, whether it be biological, they haven't been dealt the hands that they would have liked to be dealt or was best served. And I think Karadad doesn't shirk from that, but he also, he treats it with the kind of grace that I've come to expect from him. But I going into this, I kind of thought, well, maybe it's it's a bit cheerier even than it looks. But I was very impressed by how it kind of digs in and it really adds some heft and it explores things in a way where I think a lot of other filmmakers would just not have managed to do it, or they would have derailed their own movie, or they would have ended up doing something that I think created outrage. Where I think Cardi just has this ability to create something very thoughtful and thought provoking, something that will get people get people discussing the the hefty kind of subject matter behind the material, but also sets them up in a good place to have that conversation, like to have a good fake conversation. It's also just like, it's a very funny film. It's a very charming film. He finds interesting ways, for example, to have a child. I mean, we have a baby that's obviously along with the journey here, but to have a child that can give you that kind of that popping Corrida kid performance um, took a little bit of creativity I think in building the story together in this case but he manages to do that and I as often is the case and there are lots of directors who love to do this Wes Anderson being one of my favorite directors and someone who does this all the time but the idea of found family like very much comes to the fore here and becomes something that feels quite real and is very convincing by the end of the film I would highly recommend it it's right up there with some of the best things I've seen in the early part of 2023. Um, but honestly, more generally, I just encourage people to dive in and get to know the films like Hurikazu Kurada. I think Broker is not a bad place to start. I think Shoplifters may now be the best place for someone to just 
if you're to drop in and be like, okay, I'm interested in seeing what this filmmaker is like, I think that's where I'd go. And you can work your way back from there. And there's some real classics to get to. Uh, honestly, there's a couple of films that like, I don't know if I've mentioned like Father Like Son. I don't know if I've mentioned I Wish. Like there's some really great, great films in there. So I'm I'm glad we've been able to shine a little spotlight on Corridor. Talk a little bit about Broker. And I hope people check it out. Yeah, uh, highly recommend when we get back from uh, Milwaukee. I will probably watch a few more because I now have a subscription to whatever Amazon Prime add-on gave me access to uh, the ones I did watch. Oh, interesting. I watched a few on Criterion as well. (laughs) There are a few on Criterion for anyone else Criterion channel at the moment. Okay, that does it for us for this episode. Uh, TBD on when you'll next hear from us. That's that's what I'll say. We may have an impromptu episode. I don't know. There's maybe we end up with an in-person episode if we feel that way and the opportunity provides. Andrew and I will be meeting for the first time in a little over a week. And we will be in Chicago, then Milwaukee, spending some time together, getting to to know all of our various online friends and uh, soaking up the sights and the sounds. Uh, there's a tentative plan for a movie in there. I don't know what that movie is yet. Maybe it's something we like, and we're like, oh, let's even do 20 minutes on it. I don't know. Um, But we'll see how schedules work out and whether we get something before we go away, whether we get something when we're away, or whether we'll have stuff when we get back. But a lot of exciting stuff. Plenty of movies I want to talk about. Succession coming back as well. And we're not going to be short on material in the, the weeks and months ahead. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's make time for this. You should also subscribe to the rest of the GSPN shows. So that's Eurostep Podcast Network for all things Milwaukee books, Cruising for Bruising for all things Milwaukee Brewers, and Talking to Tundra for everything they have Until next time, thanks again to all you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Adam.